Welcome back. We're Stacy and Pete, and it's the We Don't Want to Grow Up podcast. Thanks for being here. We're excited. We hope you are too. Bubba Fett's excited. What? Bubba Fett. Oh, forgot he was hanging there on our mic. For those that aren't in here with us, there's a Star Wars figure of Bubba Fett on our mic stand. That's right. Care of uh, McNair. Yes. So before we get into our movie of the week, (laughs) (laughs) it's time for show and tell. Who is our participant this week? Stacy Lines, come on down. <laughs> and Stacy is spelled exactly like mine is spelled. It's the proper spelling of Stacy. <laughs> it is. No E, no I, just a Y. Although when I was a kid, I always wanted my name to be spelled with an I so I could put a heart over it. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. So it would be S-T-A-C-I? Yes. Or, or I-E, I-E. Either one. Hmm. Didn't work out that way. Nope. <laughs> People accidentally put IE at the end of my name if they're calling me Petey. It should be P-E-T-E-Y. I would probably do IE. Would you? The only, I mean, there's like two people in your life that call you that. It's like family members. Yes. So. But it just happened. <laughs> my cousin sent a wedding invite and it said Petey, IE on it. I think it's fun that he's, he even was going to say Petey. Yes. I get excited when people spell my name correctly. Yeah? For sure. I hate when they put an E in it. That's the worst. I think it's because, too, I went to elementary school with a boy named Stacy, and his name had an E. It was an E-Y. So oh, was it? I always felt like, in my mind, that was the boy spelling. And ah. so, But even though now I know plenty of women that, you know, their names are spelled that way, too. Right. Anyway, getting back to this Stacy. Back to our show and tell. This Stacy is 39. Her favorite... 80s movie, Adventures in Babysitting. And then she said, this is so hard, but I was banned from renting that one at one point because she rented it so much. Oh, I was about to say that, like, I identify with you. I thought her parents banned her from renting that movie, which, you know, I know how that feels, but. No, I think that is what she's saying. Oh, or is she saying the video store banned her? Yeah, I don't know if she just rented it too much and they're like, no, you're not allowed to. Or her parents were like, no, you are not watching that film. I wonder if it's like the video store only had one copy and they're like, give some other people a chance on the weekends. (laughs) Favorite song, Road to Nowhere by the Talking Heads. It is her favorite song of all time. Nice. Favorite 90s movie is Beautiful Girls. I really would like to rewatch that. I remember liking it as a teenager. It's not one I've seen. I went and watched the trailer and had not seen it. Ah, add it to the list. Favorite song. This is so hard. Absolutely impossible, she says. (laughs) Due to the reaction I had seeing them perform it live in the fall from Garbage, Push It. Which is a great song. And then her runner-ups were Right Beside You by Sophie B. Hawkins and Waiting for Magic by Ace of Base. Great songs. TV shows, The Hogan Family. Full House. And then she wrote Rest in Peace, Bob Saget. Mm-hmm. Punky Brewster. Felicity. Allie McBeal. 
and mad about you. A very good list. Very good. The toy that Stacy loved the most as a child. There's a couple of them. Alfie Robot, Fashion Plates, Spin Art, and Color Forms. That oh. Alfie Robot was fun. Yeah. I loved, really, I mean, all of these. Fashion Plates were so amazing. What were Fashion Plates? They're the ones, I've posted the commercials for them before where it's like a an imprint of like a model yeah. and you could kind of change out what clothing they were wearing and then you rub your pencil over it yeah and then you could color it okay i do remember that spin art would you have like a paper plate and it would be spinning and you'd like drop paint on it and stuff like that yeah or you could have like a you could buy like a spin art machine so it wasn't it may have just been a piece of paper in there that you would attach into it yeah but yeah you drop the paint and it would spin and you'd see what creation you'd make I feel like the low-rent version of that was us doing that with a paper plate on a record player. (laughs) You messed up the record player. (laughs) Maybe that never happened. (laughs) Favorite game or book that you loved as a child or teenager? Babysitter's Club books. Yes. The Little Princess. And she also lists a Ouija board and asks, is that a game? And the answer is yes. You buy that in the game section. Yeah, it is a game. Now, if I walked by it in Toys R Us... I could feel the devil reaching and grabbing me. I knew that I was about to get demon-possessed. I mean, it's a game that you don't take lightly, right? No, it's a serious game. (laughs) Favorite places to go in the mall in the 80s, 90s, or early 2000s? Strawberries, Sam Goody, The Wall, any music or video store. What was Strawberries? It was also like a music store. Was it? We didn't have one here, but I've heard a lot of people talk about it on different posts that I've made. Gotcha. The one that we had... The name of it has just left my mind. I think it started with, oh, Camelot music. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what we had in our mall. And then we asked, anything else you'd like us to add about nostalgia, fond memories, or to this community? She said, I miss my lime green pants from Express. (laughs) And she sent me a picture, and they are fantastic. Are they? And look out for that post on Instagram, because I will be sharing that. What material are they? Oh, I don't know. Are they, like, shiny or cloth? Uh, I don't think they're shiny, but... She said, I missed my teddy bear's picnic vinyl record that came with the book. I missed prank calling. <laughs> Me too. That was so much fun. Voting by calling a number for the most random things, like the M&M colors. <laughs> yes. That was great. <laughs> but wouldn't they charge us for some of that back then to like call and vote? I don't know if they did every time. Or maybe it was after a certain number of times. Corporations. Ugh, all their money. So negative. So negative. Sorry. <laughs> CD collection commercials. Yes. The year 2000 bits on Conan. Yeah. In the year 2000. Uh, Good TV theme songs and commercial jingles. Yeah, I feel like that's a great one because you think about just in the 80s, some of the cartoons. And what one did you just show me? Oh, like the long version of Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers. Yes. That was, they went all out. I know. For some of these theme songs. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was. Then she said weird food that no one worried about being organic. Yeah, I can think of like these microwave cheeseburgers that my stepmom used to get me that, I mean, they would leave like the worst aftertaste, but I'd eat like six of them. (laughs) There's no way those were good for you in any way, shape or form. But she didn't think about it back then. Nope. She just said, you know, those are all the things that I'm nostalgic for. Well, very good. Yes. Thank you, Stacy. You may go back to your seat now, Stacy. <laughs> and if you'd like to be featured in our show and tell segment, just reach out to us. You can email us or DM us on Instagram and ask for a questionnaire and we'll get it over to you. 
I'm having a lot of fun with them. Me too. Yeah. I've had a lot of people reach out so far. Have you? Yeah. Good. Before we get into this movie that we're covering, we'll tell you really quickly all the places that you can reach us. The main place, Instagram at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod. We're on TikTok at We Don't Want to Grow Up. There is a very fun Facebook group, The Cozy Club, fans of We Don't Want to Grow Up. You can help support the podcast by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash we don't want to grow up. You can email us at we don't want to grow up pod at gmail.com. And if you like our content, we really appreciate you giving us a five star rating and a quick review. It may be annoying that we ask this all the time, but those numbers do matter for us. So if you haven't done that, please just take a few moments of your time. And share about the podcast and our social media. If you have any friends or family that you think might enjoy it, spread the word. Let them know. All right, on to our feature presentation. The movie that we're covering this week is Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman. So this is from 1990. Yes. Directed by Gary Marshall and the screenplay by J.F. Lawton. So if you've been living under a rock, Pretty Woman <laughs> is about a Hollywood sex worker, Vivian Ward, and wealthy businessman Edward Lewis. Vivian is hired to be Edward's escort for several business and social functions. And we basically just watch how their relationship develops during their week together. Cast-wise, we have Richard Gere, who plays Edward Lewis. Julia Roberts as Vivian Ward. Ralph Bellamy as James Morse. Jason Alexander as Philip Stuckey. Hector Elizondo as Barney Thompson. The best. Laura San Giacomo as Kit DeLuca. Kit DeLuca. <laughs> Alex Hyde-White as David Morse. Amy Yazbeck as Elizabeth Stuckey. She was Philip's wife. Eleanor Donahue as Bridget, who is a friend of Barney's who works in a woman's clothing store. Yeah, she was not the a-hole women who turned her away. She was she the friendly one. helped her out, yes. Yeah. James Patrick Stewart as the day bellhop. He was in, like, the elevator? Yes. Okay. Larry Miller as Mr. Hollister, who is the manager of the clothing store where Vivian buys her new wardrobe. Yes. And then Hank Azaria has a small role as a detective. Oh, that's right. When they find uh, the individual who's deceased. Yes. Yes. So, fun facts. Gear, Roberts, and Elizondo would later co-star again in 1999's Runaway Bride. Yes, they did. And that was also directed by Gary Marshall. So fun. I remember being so excited, in general, just to go see that movie, to see them together again. But then when I saw Hector, I was really excited. So speaking of Hank Azaria, Pretty Woman was his first film speaking role. Was it? Yeah. And he later co-starred with Julia in 2001's America's Sweethearts. I wonder if he had already done like cartoon voices at that point on The Simpsons. I bet you he had. Yeah, probably. The film was originally written as a dark drama, which included Vivian being addicted to drugs. Part of her deal with Edward was that she had to stay off cocaine for a week. I've thought this was so fascinating. That is very fascinating. The original script was called 3000 and it ended with Vivian and Kit on the bus to Disneyland. Yes. That is crazy that we got this movie out of that original idea. I know. And 3000, I was like, why would they call it that? And then all of a sudden I could hear her in my head going, $3,000. (laughs) (laughs) And the deleted scenes had been found and some of them were actually included on the DVD release for the film's 15th anniversary edition. And in one scene, Vivian is confronted by Carlos, who we see Carlos in the movie, but he's a pimp in the movie. Yeah. 
but he was a drug dealer in the original. And she's rescued by Edward. And then the limo driver, Daryl, gets his gun out. So this was all like shot. Like it went far enough where they were shooting this movie. Right. That is fascinating. I know. It was Walt Disney Studios, then president Jeff Katzenberg, who insisted that the film be rewritten as a modern day fairy tale and love story, as opposed to this original dark drama. The title 3000 was also changed because Disney execs thought it sounded like a title for a science fiction film. Yeah, not wrong. Yeah. So Gary Marshall had initially considered Christopher Reeve, Daniel Day-Lewis, Kevin Kline, and Denzel Washington for the role of Edward. And then Albert Brooks, Al Pacino, and Burt Reynolds all turned it down. Pacino went as far to do a casting reading with Roberts before he rejected the project. And then Richard Gere initially refused. But then when he met Julia, she persuaded him by sliding a post-it note with the words, please say yes, written on it. And then he accepted the role right then. That is incredible. I know. I cannot, like, I could see Christopher Reeve in this role. Daniel Day-Lewis, I don't remember how old he would have been at that point. Kevin Kline would have been a decent fit. Denzel can do anything. Mm -hmm. Al Pacino, you know, that he he was- He could have done it. He could have. And Burt Reynolds had, you know, some swagger, Mm -hmm. which could have led to a different interpretation of that role. Yeah. I'm so glad that Richard Gere went back and did it. Me too. I'm sure he is as well. Yeah. <laughs> so Julia was not the first choice for the role of Vivian and was not wanted by Disney. <laughs> Many other actresses were considered. Marshall originally envisioned Karen Allen, who played in Raiders of the Lost Ark for the role. When she declined, auditions went to many better known actresses of the time, including Molly Ringwald, Winona Ryder, Jennifer Connelly, Emily Lloyd, Drew Barrymore, Brooke Shields, Uma Thurman, Kristen Davis, <laughs> Meg Ryan, who was a top choice of Marshall's, Mary Steenburgen, Diane Lane, Michelle Pfeiffer, Daryl Hannah, Jennifer Jason <laughs> Lee, and Leah Thompson. I'm not sure who in Hollywood was not considered for this role. I know. And to be honest with you, the more that I researched, the more names I saw for both roles. And I was like, okay, I'm stopping at yeah. this point. Let's just say everyone in Hollywood auditioned for the role of Vivian, and they were either too young like Winona, Drew, and Jennifer, Mm. or the actresses were questionable about the role. Yeah, and I could see like the original dark drama would be a concern. It's like, well, I don't want to be a cocaine-addicted sex worker. Right. I'm sure that if they had seen this script for this movie, they would have jumped on it. Right. Like Molly Ringwald would have been all over that. Absolutely. So after all of those actresses, were considered 21-year-old Julia Roberts was cast. At this point, she was pretty much unknown. She had been in Mystic Pizza and had already filmed Steel Magnolias, but it wasn't out yet. Right. And those were both great movies. Yeah. But, I mean, Pretty Woman made her a star. Absolutely. The only name I saw of someone that turned down the role of Kit, Demi Moore. Hmm. Well, I'm glad she turned it down. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was perfect the way it was, but... I think she could have done it. She would have had a different interpretation of it. I just really love Kit DeLuca. Yeah. So while shooting the scene where Vivian is laying down on the floor of Edward's penthouse, watching reruns of I Love Lucy, Gary Marshall had to tickle Robert's feet (laughs) out of camera range to get her to laugh. I thought that was funny. (laughs) Yeah, that is funny. (laughs) Because her laugh is so great. It is. So now when I watch it again, all I'm going to be thinking about is Gary Marshall laying there tickling her feet. Tickling her feet. And this was great because you asked this when we were talking about this on, 
I think our 90s romantic movies episode. The scene where Richard Gere playfully like snaps the lid of the jewelry case of the necklace, you know, the necklace that he's giving her on her fingers was improvised. I knew it. (laughs) And so her surprise laugh was genuine. And his reaction to it is so genuine as well. Yeah. You can tell that that was just a moment where they're just like messing around. Yep. And it was so natural they kept it. I, that's great. I'm I'm so happy you found that. So Julia won a Golden Globe for Best Actress and was nominated for an Oscar in the same category for this role. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, me either. Deserving for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This I thought was fun. Richard Gere is actually playing the piano in that scene where we see him like all the staff are cleaning yeah. up and Vivian comes downstairs and finds him playing piano. And he actually composed the piece of music that he's playing. I thought he was playing. I was watching his fingers. I was like, I think he's actually playing that. Mm-hmm. He's a good piano player. Yeah. So in the dinner scene, when Vivian flings the snail across the room, the waiter says, It happens all the time. Gary Marshall cast the same actor in The Princess Diaries years later and gave him the same line, I which love is great. That. Yeah. Anytime somebody like calls back to something that is nostalgic for so many people and it's like not everybody's going to get that. But if you watch Pretty Woman, you'll get it. You yep, know, you'll get it. The bathtub scene where Vivian is singing, the tub had a lot of detergent in it to make those really thick bubbles. Right. And the detergent was so strong <laughs> that it rinsed the red dye out of Julia's hair. Uh, so she had to have it redyed later that night. Well, that answers the question that I asked as well. I was like, is that her natural hair color? Yeah. So I guess not. Right. Like, I think that she is sort of a redhead, but not like, not that bright yes, red. right. Yeah. Because I, I wasn't 100% sure. I didn't think that it was her real hair, but I wasn't, I wasn't sure. But red dye does bleed. Does it? Yes. Like anytime I've ever done my hair red, every time I shower, it's coming out a little bit. I can tell you that auburn slash grimace purple does not bleed. <laughs> I had to cut all of my hair off once because I chose to dye my already stripped hair auburn and it came out a perfect shade of McDonald's Grimace purple. I am still so upset that there are no pictures of this. Not a single photo. Oh, that's upsetting. I'm going to take I have like this one picture of you that is one of my favorites where you have like the bleach blonde hair. Yeah. I'm going to take that and put it into a photo app. And turn your hair purple just so I can see what it would have looked like. Okay. Well, come consult me so I can tell you which shade it was. (laughs) (laughs) So the sex scene, apparently Julia was very nervous to shoot this scene. So much so that a visible vein popped out of her forehead. (laughs) I noticed her vein. Did you? Yes. And I think that maybe I've seen it in other movies as well. But I was thinking about it when I was watching the movie. I don't know that it was during the actual sex scene that I noticed it. Or I think that they were like talking. Maybe she was in her robe or something. So it was probably like after. Yeah. But yeah, I did notice him. I can sympathize with her because I also have at times a prominent forehead vein. Uh-huh. So it, it sometimes just pops up, you yep. know, when you're doing something that you think is stressful. You're a human being. Yep. But director Gary Marshall got into bed with them and he and Richard Gere massaged her forehead until the vein disappeared. (laughs) She also broke out into hives and was given calamine lotion until they were finally able to shoot the scene. Poor girl. Yes. I really like the idea of that because it 
I don't think that it was creepy at all. You know, I think that it was actually just like a nurturing, calming thing. Mm -hmm. And she was so young. And I think that it was maybe one of her first, if not her first, you know, on screen love scenes like that. Yeah. So, I mean, understandable that she was stressed out about it. Mm -hmm. So the opera that they go to is La Triviata. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Sounded perfect. It's actually about a sex worker who falls in love with a wealthy man. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. I know. So Richard Gere and Julia Roberts are 18 years apart in real life. Wow. They were 40 and 22 years old at the time of filming. He could have been her daddy. Yeah. (laughs) The red coat that Vivian wears at the beginning of the movie. Well, I guess she wears it throughout, especially when she's trying to cover up her initial like white and blue dress that she's wearing was bought for 30 bucks from a movie usher in the street, like right before they started filming. Really? That is amazing. I know, but it's so perfect. It is because it's such a part of, you know, her character. Yeah. Julia Roberts head was superimposed on Shelley Michelle's body for the poster. Yeah. She's like a famous Hollywood body double. Oh, really? Yeah. Richard Gere's hair is brown on the poster, but graying in the movie. I remember thinking about that when I was a kid. I was like, his hair's not brown. Yeah. And it's funny because the other night before we were about to watch the movie, but we had it like geared up to watch so you could see the cover. And I was like, she looks so strange on that cover. It just doesn't look right. Yeah. And now it all makes sense. And how much better could Shelly Michelle's body be than Julia's? It doesn't make any sense because she wears that outfit in the movie and right. she looks amazing. Maybe that was an odd yeah, choice. It is an odd choice. Because That's Hollywood instead for Instead, you. you're just going to copy and paste Julia Roberts' head. And it looks like Julia, looks Julia is gorgeous, but yet she looks odd in that photo. Yeah, that's uh, that's producers for you. Yeah. <laughs> so Disney told Gary Marshall that there was no money available in the budget for Hector Elizondo. So Gary paid his salary out of his own pocket. Wow. I mean, why can't you pay him? Seriously. That's upsetting. But eventually they relented and repaid Gary the money. Good. And he is such a perfect fit for yeah, that role. Yeah, he's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, why do you pick him? I, I, I have my thoughts, but I'm just going to leave it. Yeah. Ferrari and Porsche declined the product placement opportunity for the car that Edward drove because they did not want to be associated with the theme of the movie. Lotus Cars UK saw the placement value with such a major feature film, and the gamble paid off as the Esprit sales tripled between 90 and 91. That is such short-sighted marketing from Ferrari and Porsche. Right. Like they don't, to them, they just think that that's like, lowbrow or yeah. skeevy or whatever that'll, that'll tarnish our brand right good job lotus it brought uh esprit into my mind like i i had heard of the car before but actually seeing it on screen like that was cool mm-hmm. okay i'm gonna say this name of this guy who is a composer and songwriter and did a, a lot of other things Give apologies i don't really know him but he's swedish and his name is per gessel okay He was in a conference room in L.A. planning Roxette's promo tour for their Look Sharp album when he was asked to write a song for the movie called 3000, back when it was called 3000. He declined because he didn't have time, but he offered them a Christmas song that was previously released in Sweden called It Must Have Been Love, parentheses, Christmas for the Brokenhearted. So he changed the lyrics to Hard Winter's Day instead of what it previously was, Hard Christmas Day. 
Gary Marshall loved the song so much that he re-edited the movie so that the song would fit in the non-dialogue scene. Really? Yeah. I had no idea It Must Have Been Love was originally a Christmas song. Like the... The Roxette song. Roxette song was yeah. a Christmas song? Yes. Wow. Blew my mind. That is a um, dramatic Christmas song. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. What a good bit of information. Finally, the offer of $3,000 back in 1989 adjusted for inflation would be calculated as equal to $6,512.78. Wow. So just over $1,000 a day for six days of work. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the going rate what is. What the going rate is, right? It's a lot of hours. But when we were watching it, I was like, when he initially just asked for the night, and I think is it two hundred dollars? Is it three hundred the yeah, first I think it's night? And I was just like, girl, you were just going to charge $100 an hour, but now you're going to stay for like eight hours and only charge 300 Yeah. Not good business sense. No. <laughs> but I think she was just so shocked that she could get that kind of money, right. period. So she just threw a number out there and he's like, done. And then he would have paid. He would have paid. Well, yes. yeah. That we find out later. Yeah. But $1,000 a day works out to about $41 an hour. Nice. That's pretty good. Pretty good. good rate. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in 1990. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, that's adjusted for inflation. Oh. So it would have been about $20 an hour back then. Still. Still good. Yeah. I feel like at the grocery store, I was making about $4 an hour. <laughs> yeah. So she was doing well. She was. Good job, Viv. So favorite moments. You going to go first? Sure. Let's hear it. I have to say before I start this, you know, when we were making our notes while we were watching, I had a very, very long list. Did you? The way that I have this movie memorized, <laughs> this movie about a sex worker in Hollywood when I was 10 years old, yeah, is, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about it, <laughs> but here we are. My first moment, when Edward drives up in the Lotus Esprit and Kit's like, oh, yo, oh, yo, catch this. <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene, I love so much, like Kit giving Viv the pep talk and then Vivian walking up to the car and Kit's like... Work it, work it, baby, work it, work it, own it. And then that whole initial interaction between Edward and Viv, like, there were so many things I was quoting. <laughs> I should not have been quoting, especially the one where he's like, $100 an hour, pretty stiff. And then she reaches over <laughs> and touches him, and she's like, well, no, but it's got potential. I, I was quoting that <laughs> as a kid. When you were 10. <laughs> I had no idea what she was reaching for, what that meant at all. Yeah. I can't remember if I did or not. I probably didn't, though, because I was only 13. But maybe I did. I might have had an idea what was going you on. You probably there. did. You had looked at all those penthouse magazines and Playboys. That's true. I was a man of the world at that point. All right. My first favorite moment, the whole scene where Edward calls the room and then tells her, never answer the phone. Yeah. Never, ever pick up the phone. And she's like, well, why are you calling me? And then they, they get off the phone and he's like, get her back. So he calls her back. He's like, I told you never answer the phone. It just <laughs> to me that it's so cute and fun. Like they're, they're just having fun together. Yeah. You see that the smile on his face. It may be one of the first times we've seen him smile in the movie at yeah. that point. Mm -hmm. And she's just so cute with it when she's just like, then stop calling me. <laughs> I love it. My second favorite moment, the bubble bath scene where Vivian is singing Kiss by Prince. I wanna be your fantasy. Well, maybe you could be mine. 
We get to see a lot of that. And then her face, when she opens her eyes and sees that Edward is standing there watching her, she's embarrassed, but she's like, don't you just love Prince? (laughs) And and he's like, more than life itself. That was another thing I had seen was that when she gets all excited about the deal that they make and she sinks down into the water. Yeah. Uh, when she comes up and like, you know, wipes her face off and everything, apparently like the crew had all left the room, but one camera guy stayed in. And so he got that moment. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was kind of unscripted. Uh-huh. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right. Number two, Vivian's face when she's talking with Edward and she says that line. Your folks must be really proud, huh? I don't know what it is about her face at that point, but it's just really adorable. <laughs> Is it because she's so amazed at like what all he's accomplished? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's a very innocent moment. Yeah. And number three for me, the whole ending scene, like it kind of starts where we see them alone and you see, I keep wanting to say Richard, Edward come out on, he comes out further on the balcony because he's afraid of heights and he refused to go out on the balcony before. But as the movie progresses, you see that he gradually will go further and further out. And he's really sad at this point because she's gone. And this is where It Must Have Been Love by Roxette is playing. Mm-hmm. And it is all very dramatic. Vivian is going back to her apartment. She's in the limo, going away. And then later, when Edward decides he's going to go get her. Yeah. And he goes to her apartment. And you can hear the opera music playing. She can hear it from her window. And she knows it's him before she even looks out. Right. But he's like up out of the sunroof. He's got his rose. Basically, you know, he's going to give her the fairy tale that she told him she had always dreamed of. He pulls up on his white horse. Yes. And the best is that, like I said, he's afraid of heights and he has to climb the fire escape. And he's like, top floor or something. And she's like, (laughs) it's the best because that's what he said about the penthouse. Yep. And then when he finally gets up there and he's like... So what happened after he climbed up the tower and rescued her? And she says, she rescues him right back. I just got chills. <laughs> and then they kiss. Oh, so good. So good. All right. My final favorite moment, the look that Edward gives Vivian this is very early on in the movie when he asks her her name and she says, what's your name? What do you want it to be? And I mean, I just love that look that he gives her like, come on. (laughs) He's not amused. He He does not not have time for that. (laughs) Gosh, we're already to HMs. I know. I have a lot. Okay. So really all of the kit scenes I loved. So when she needs snacks and she's at the bar and she's just gathering all of the drink garnishes (laughs) into her napkin, she's got like limes and oranges and olives and just all the things that people will put in a cocktail. She's getting all that. And the bartender's like, this ain't a buffet kit. (laughs) (laughs) And then when Vivian calls her to tell her that she's leaving money for her at the front desk of the hotel and she tells Kit to write it down. And so she's writing. Reach. Bev. Will. On a pizza box with lipstick. (laughs) That's something I always have to say with her every time she says it. And then like the heartfelt moment when they're saying goodbye to each other. Mm -hmm. And they always say, take care of you. Take care of you. To each other. But when they say it there, oh, it gets me. And then she just like throws herself into Vivian for a hug. Oh, I always imagine that Kit comes to wherever they go, because I assume it's New York, right? Is that where Edward lives? Yeah, that he he is in New York. I, I always imagine that Kit joins them there as well. Aw, gets her life together. Yes. 
my first HM, Edward, when we're in the clothing montage mm-hmm. and Mr. Hollister comes up to him and Edward says, I think we need more sucking up. So then Mr. Hollister is like, well, sir, you're not only handsome, but a powerful man. I could see the second you walked in here, you were someone to reckon with. Hollister. Yes, sir. Not me. Her. But that just always makes me laugh. He's like, not me, her. <laughs> <laughs> this is a small moment, but it's the first time that Edward and Vivian are going to go to dinner and he's going to meet her in the hotel bar and she's gotten her first dress, like her first cocktail dress. And he doesn't recognize her at first. And then, you know, she turns around and she's got on that really pretty black dress and her hair is all done and stuff. And she's like, you're late. And he goes, you're stunning. And then she just laughs a little and she's like, you're forgiven. (laughs) Just think that's a sweet little moment. It is. My next HM, when they're at the polo match (laughs) and Vivian goes, it's just a a funny moment in the movie, but also a great callback to that point in time with Arsenio Hall. Yes. The woof, woof, woof. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It makes me laugh every time. Plus, she is so into it. She is. (laughs) That's not a laid back. Woof, woof, woof. No. All right, next up for me, I mean, this just feels too good to be an HM, but this is just the format we have. The whole Pretty Woman montage when the song is playing, she's shopping, she's finally being treated well, and she's trying on all the different clothes. And we just, you know, anytime you get a good, like, montage of someone trying on a bunch of different outfits, it's a good time. Yes. (laughs) Along those lines, when she goes back to that original store that treated her poorly. Yes. And she says this. Hi. Hello. Do you remember me? No, I'm sorry. I was in here yesterday. You wouldn't wait on me? Oh. You work on commission, right? Uh, yes. Big mistake. Big. Huge. I have to go shopping now. Face. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I mean, because she looks like a million bucks. She's got all the shopping bags on her arms. And the look on that lady's face. Yeah. Priceless. Priceless. That's what you get. Yep. I wonder if that's like the most quoted line from the movie. Probably. Although it might actually be this one. So when Edward and Vivian are first going into the hotel and going up the elevator, there's this older couple there. And Vivian notices that they're giving her weird looks, you know, and so she just props her leg up on something that's right there. And she's like, honey, you know what's happened? I've got a runner in my pantyhose. I'm not wearing pantyhose. Well, color me happy. There's a sofa in here for two. And then then Edward is obviously embarrassed, but also amused. Yes. And he just looks at the couple and he's like, first time in an elevator. (laughs) (laughs) I never understood the there's a runner in my pantyhose. I'm not wearing pantyhose. Like, that doesn't make sense. Well, I think that it, it kind of confused me, too. Yeah. I've come to the conclusion that I think that it's just that she wanted to hike her leg up and make them look. You know what I mean? I figured it was. I just, I don't know. (laughs) I never really quite understood it. You're like, am I missing something here? But I get it. Yeah. She's drawing attention Mm -hmm. to her legs. She's like, if you're going to look at me, I'm going to give you something to look at. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next moment for me, Edward punching Stucky in the face at the end. Yeah. Because boy, did he have that coming. He is an absolute he garbage. What? He what? Huh? He had it coming. He had it coming. He had it Oh, I bet you thought you'd never get to do that again on this I podcast. Know. I knew it would come back around at some point. It, it was had- like four episodes in a row I got to do it. I know. It had to come back naturally. Yes, it did. 
You almost missed it. I almost did. I was deep in thought. Sorry. And I missed it. Sorry for the interruption. I no, thought it was worth it. I appreciate it. <laughs> My last item on Stucky is that he is a garbage human being. Yes. Very well written to be a piece of trash. <laughs> this isn't necessarily a favorite moment, but I had to comment on the fact that, <laughs> you know, we, we've talked about the fact that I was very young when this movie came out. So when Vivian pulls the array of condoms out of her boot to show Edward and she's like, I've got blue, I got red, I got green. You know, she goes through this whole thing. Um, I thought that they were the suckers that you get from the bank when (laughs) you're a kid. I thought that was so cute when you told me that. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely what I thought it was. And then you went back and you're like, yeah, I can see why you might have thought that. I mean, I, I had no idea what those were. I must have watched. Howard the Duff after this, even though I think it came out before this, but yeah. like well, it did because it was an 80s movie. But when I watched Howard the Duck was where I saw the condom and I asked my sister what it was. Right. And that's when I was handed the books the next day <laughs> <laughs> to find out what sex was. <laughs> that's so amazing. But yeah, I was confused about what she had pulled out of her boot for sure. <laughs> All right. My final moment. And we talked about this earlier, but when Edward slaps the top of the necklace case down on her hand, mm-hmm. I just have always enjoyed the authenticity of that scene. Yeah. And now to know that it was just improvised makes it even better. It does. Oh! <laughs> and actually, my last HM is right after that moment when they get on the elevator and Vivian looks at him and says, If I forget to tell you later, I had a really good time tonight. And then they're like leaving to go get on the plane. And the song that's playing, it's just, it's a moment. What a fun movie. It is. Well, it's time to talk about songs from 1990. And the reason that I went back to doing the songs this week was because I don't think that we've had a movie from 90 yet. Oh, okay. So I thought this would be fun. There are so many good songs from 1990. It was really hard to pick. I totally agree, but I think I found a couple good ones. Okay. First one from Alana Miles, Black Velvet. So much passion in this song. I love it. It's a good one. My first one is Can't Live Without Your Love and Affection by Nelson. Have I told my Nelson story on this podcast? I was just going to ask you if you wanted to tell your Gunner Nelson story. <gasps> Why do you seem so annoyed by that? <laughs> Wasn't he hitting on you hardcore? No. Oh. Thought he was hitting on Is that me. why you sounded angry? Yes. I, th- I thought it was just like, oh, she's going to tell the story again. No, 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 no. I, I thought don't he was get to tell that you. story very often. No, we'll tell it then. Let's share. <laughs> so randomly, my friend Carrie and I were able to go to this New Year's Eve party that was hosted <laughs> by Lou Pearlman. Okay. If like you... of sync fame. Yeah. Lou Pearlman who. Or infamy. Right. He has passed away, but he went to jail for doing some shady stuff. But he was there at, I wouldn't say he was the manager. What was his title? He was involved in like putting together like the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and like O-Town and some other Orlando boy banders. So he wasn't a good guy. No. Right. But at the time, I'm trying to think what year that was. That was after like the battle over NSYNC's name and everything. 
Um, but we went because we were invited and it, even though we didn't like him, we thought who else might be there? Yeah. We knew it wouldn't be in sync, but we thought, you know, that seems fun. Don't have anything else to do. It was a formal event and it seemed fun. <laughs> So we're there and we didn't see a ton of famous people. Uh, LFO was there and we had a fun little moment where Rich Cronin was like in the corner and he was like making up a rap to his friends he was talking to. My friend Carrie and I have a big joke about that. Obviously, Rich is no longer with us. But anyway, the reason we were there, I think Carrie's friend worked for Transcon at the time. And I think that's why we were able to go. But I could be wrong. Carrie, correct me if I'm wrong. But we're having this conversation with this couple, and I don't even remember what we were talking about. But I mean, it it lasted for, I don't know, five minutes or so. And the whole time I was thinking, this guy looks familiar to me, but I just didn't didn't think anything of it. I don't know. And we walked away (laughs) and Carrie's like, you know who that was, don't you? I I don't remember how the, the conversation came about, but... I then realized that I had just had a conversation with Gunnar Nelson. But that night I was like, Gunnar freaking Nelson? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and he had, you know, when I think of Nelson, I think of them with their long yeah. blonde manes. And at one point, you know, they cut their hair off. And so, oh, so his hair was short. Yeah. I uh-huh. mean, short-ish. It was still like a shag do <laughs> that kind of came down to almost his shoulders. But How tall was he? I feel like when I'm seeing the the scene in my mind, I feel like he was he was like six feet. Oh, okay. I could be wrong, but he seemed tall. I had on tall shoes and he was taller than me. So. Okay. Well, there's your Gunnar Nelson story. I know. Story. I mean, it's not that exciting, but it was still just funny that I had this whole conversation and then I didn't, didn't realize it until after the fact. <laughs> and I don't know. Who knows? He could have thought that, you know, we were like freaking out talking to him. Right. And I had no idea. But if I had known, maybe I would have asked for a picture or something. Yeah, seriously. Anyway, that's my story. Next time. Next time you'll get one with him. <laughs> All right, my second song from 1990 from Poison, Unskinny Bop. This one's just a lot of fun. It is fun. I saw it on the list and I was like, that one. That's it. That's it. Look no further. My last one is actually not a song that I was into in 1990. It's a song that I got into like when I was in my 20s, Um, but it really spoke to me. And I used to listen to it on repeat once I did get into it. When I saw it, I'm like, I I don't even care. I have to pick it. It's She Talks to Angels by the Black Crows. That song makes me feel so many. It makes me feel sad, but it's also just so beautiful. Yeah. There's that that one little moment, that one little like guitar strum. I don't know how you'd say it. We'll play it right here. Oh, gives me chills. I think it's their best song by far. I don't know a lot of their songs. I think I only know Hard to Handle in this. I don't know if I know. Maybe I would. I think I had that album. It's a great song, though. A great year, great song, great movie. Just all around greatness. Yep. (laughs) Well, we'll see you next time. Later. Bye. Bye.